Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Philosophy Podcast, in-season edition with PLL Chaos head coach Andy Towers coming to us from Florida, where he's at the PLL training camp down at IMG. What's going on, AT? Not much, man. These guys, uh, the, the, the Mike Rabel, Paul Rabel, Josh Sims, Tyler Starnhart, they, uh, what these guys have done down here is just incredible. I mean, it is, it feels like the NFL in terms of the way that they are putting this training camp on. I mean, the players, the compete level is just blows you away. Um, and obviously the talent blows you away. Um, but matching feet is the way that they have put this camp together. It is just first class across the board. So really, really uh, fun and, uh, and exciting to be a part of for sure. Awesome, man. Well, sounds great. We'll have to get into that um, uh, on another date. Let's, um, let's dive into some Final Four action here um, and recap the quarterfinals. Um, honestly, one of the best weekends of lacrosse I can ever remember with three overtime games. And, and while the Penn State Loyola game wasn't overtime, it was just unbelievable. Um, I had a great conversation with Terry Foy from Inside Lacrosse yesterday. And one of the things he talked about that I think is so interesting across all of these games was, you know, other than maybe the Peniel game was just this, the fact that there were massive runs and they didn't seem to impact the team uh, to which the run was occurring. And, and, and there, the, the, you know, there were Maryland jumps up five on Virginia, no big deal for, you know, uh, Duke four in a row, multiple times on Notre Dame, Notre Dame comes right back, ties the game. Loyola down. I mean, they were down 14 to six or something. Yeah. The next, you know, 16, 14. Um, so just um, the shot clock era, I believe has given people the ability to have the confidence that we're going to score goals. And if we can win some face-offs, we're going to be in this thing. And it's really made for lacrosse to be it, it really at its most exciting stage I've ever seen. Uh, I w- I'm with you hundred percent. You know, a few years ago when Lars was coaching at Brown, uh, all the talk was how, fast Brown was playing and with this shot clock the reality Jamie is that everybody's playing at that speed now they have to (laughs) and it's made the sport way more enjoyable to watch uh you know as a fan uh the other thing is for everybody out there that's listening that has a record your records are going to fall because all (laughs) of the scoring that is going on it's great for the sport. It's fun to watch. But the statistics that these guys are putting up are just astronomical. Um, and, and exactly what you just said. No team is ever out of it in the shot clock day and age. Speaking of records, and before we dive into this, I think that they should put asterisks next to records along the way. So the first one is, you know, wood sticks. Another one would be nine pulls. 
Another one is five poles. Another one is four poles. Yep. You're, Another you're one is, I don't know, like extra, you know, extra eligibility for a particular program that ended up right. getting like everyone's an extra year. And then I believe that the shot clock needs to have one as well because. I, I, listen, you're, you're, you're right. It's, it's, you're not comparing apples to apples right. over the years that way. You just aren't. Um, you know, to see Mac O'Keefe go for nine goals, it was kind of a commercial nine goals. I mean, <laughs> if you can say that. It, 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 it's, uh, it's really, really fun to watch, and we need to start to get used to games that really are 30 combined goals rather than 20 combined goals. Offensive efficiency has just become more important than ever. Um, and your ability to just keep scoring. I mean, the, the bottom line, I really felt like, you know, we'll get into the Penn-Yale game, but I, I really felt like if Yale didn't win more face-offs, they were going to struggle, but they, they just scored enough goals. And, and Penn, you know, you could say, well, you know, they scored 18 goals, you know, but, but it wasn't enough. And that's like, that, it's, it's pretty crazy. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. So let's dive right in. Virginia, Maryland. Um, Maryland comes out of the gate sharp, defensively, really jamming up Virginia. Um, you know, Michael Krause, who ended up with one and four on the day, really just, like, didn't have the space. You know, they, uh, Maryland really closed it down on them, and he just wasn't able to sort of impact uh, in this one-on-one sense. But, but Virginia's 10-man ride just continuously got them. And in and, and their swarm ride, frankly. I mean, they've got the hustle ride, the swarm ride, and then they've got the 10-man ride piece. Um, and, and it just kind of kept them in the game early and then late down five goals, NBD, you know, we can win this game, e- even though that everyone's crying about the, the terrible call, you know, I, I, I just, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if Virginia tied that game in. No, I mean, I, I think I, I, Ryan Boyle does a great job. I, I, I love Ryan Boyle's assessment of lacrosse games. You know, he, he does such a good job of educating the viewer with the same side of the fence way that he communicates it. You know, he brought up a great point, which is everybody was up in arms about, you know, the goal that wasn't a goal that tied the game up. And, and I was one of those guys that was up in arms as well. But he, Ryan Boyle made a great point, which was, look, Virginia backed up the shot. They were going to get the ball back. They also scored five, you know, they also scored four goals before that in the span of, you know, uh, you know, four minutes. So for them to come back and tie it on that no goal, I, I think that they were destined to win the game. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, it seemed like it. It seemed like it. And uh, really great to see Ryan Conrad play the way that he did on the biggest stage to this point in the year after coming off of a knee injury. And he just seemed like he willed that team to victory. And, you know, a, a team like Maryland that just, you know, I don't know what their record is, but when they get up on you, they just have a history of choking out everybody. And they tried to choke them out 
They really did. And in hindsight, I'm sure they wish they were more aggressive offensively. Um, you know, but they were playing not to lose down the stretch of that game. And you know every time that that happens, a lot of times they end up losing. And I felt like this was a situation that, uh, you know, was as much about Maryland not getting it done down the stretch by staying aggressive as it was Virginia coming back and winning the game. Last week we spoke about the way that they decided to play Towson. And, the, and listen, these guys are the best in the business, right? And, and John Tillman has is, 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 is probably been the best college lacrosse coach in the last decade. I currently think Andy Shea is the best coach in the, in the country right now. But the last decade, John Tillman has been the best coach in the country with, the, with everything that Maryland has done. And when they decided to not step out on the perimeter and pressure Towson down the stretch of the game last week, I thought it was a mistake. And sure enough, it shows you why he's coaching college across and I'm doing a podcast about college across because that was the right way to play. And Maryland won the game. Uh, you know, this game, it seemed like Maryland was just sort of like holding on and holding on and holding on and not staying aggressive on the offensive end. And that opened the door enough for Virginia to come back and break their heart. And they did. Yeah, no doubt. It's such a tough call because, you know, every time you, you know, you try to choke out a team and, and kill the game and, and they come back on you, you get killed for that. And, and, and if you go for it and you turn it over, you get killed for that. You know, um, just reminds me of the Patriots, Andy. You know, Atlanta. Lana yeah. just I stay aggressive and it freaking bites them. And you know, teams that don't, you know, everybody comes back on you. But but honestly, isn't the story truly the face-offs for Virginia? Did they win eleven to twelve down the stretch? I mean, I mean that it, had to be the biggest uh, difference, regardless of any strategy. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the, with the with the shot clock, it seems like it's magnified the effect of successful and unsuccessful face-offs on the game. You know, with more goals being scored, more face-offs being taken, the teams that are dominant at the X seem to be the ones that are dictating the outcomes of these games. And certainly, Petey LaSala stepped up and gave them what they needed. And I think he's going to do it again this weekend against Duke, and I think Virginia um, is going to win that game. But uh, there's no question that you look at Gerard Arceri at Penn State, you look at T.D. Erlin at Yale, you look at Gallagher at Penn, even though they lost and are out of it, uh, you know, and Petey LaSalle at Virginia, these are the teams that are, that are surviving. Um, Duke is the only team that made the Final Four that doesn't seem like they have a real dominating guy. You know, they got a couple of good guys, but they don't have anybody that's dominating. And the other three teams, well, I would say that at least Penn State and Yale do. Petey LaSalle has been dominant at times during the year, and he was dominant down the stretch of that game versus Maryland uh, on Saturday. But, you know, I, I think the team that ends up winning it all is going to have a guy that is dominant at the X. Well, good for Lars. Um, you and I both played with him, and we're uh, rooting for Lars. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. Uh, they're fun to watch, and, you know, the whole – Ryan Conrad, you know, a lot of people sort of, you know, you read on Twitter, you hear opinions, you know, Ryan Conrad, is he that good? Is he, is he, is he, is he really great at anything? You know, th this game showed the kind of intangibles of why you want that guy on. Agree. 
Agree one hundred percent. Measure intangibles. Agree one hundred percent. I was talking about Duke Notre Dame. Speaking about faceoffs, um, you know Notre Dame would have been the definite favorite. I don't know exactly what the stat was, but Duke held their own on the faceoffs. I felt like that was a huge deal for them, um, and. Duke did what they do, man, which is they just played smart, consistent. Um, and I, I, you know, listen, I didn't pick – I picked Notre Dame to lose to Hopkins <laughs> before Regardsy was, you know, ruled eligible. And then I definitely picked Notre Dame to beat Duke. And, and so far, you know, I've hit the nail on the side twice. And I, I really believe that, you know, Duke – you know, you talk about a, a, a group of coaches that have done a great job in the last decade. It's hard to argue Duke – hasn't done as good of a job as anybody. And, and I thought this last game was as masterful of a job as it could have done because their offense struggled this year. They're going up against, you know, a year in and year out vaunted Notre Dame defense. Um, and, um, you know, they got it done. Amazing. They did. You know, I got to say, Jamie, I was four for four this weekend. I got them all. Yeah. But it certainly didn't look like I was going to get uh, any of them. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I mean, Penn State, I, I think even though they ended up winning, if that guy hadn't gotten that penalty, looked like Loyola was marching back into the game. Yeah. Uh, and the penalty was the right call. You know, yeah. the sad part is I'm watching the game with Matt Panetta, and that hit, even though it was high and was a cross check, I, I, I think that if that hit had happened 25 years ago, there wouldn't have been a flag on it. Um, and the right call now in this day and age with concussions and everything we know about it, it, it is the right call. I mean, it is, it, 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 it is the way that it should be right now. And, you know, for, for all of us that played a long time ago who, you know, gripe or whine or whatever about you can't hit lacrosse anymore, fact is, is, you know, that, that hit, got the deserving two-minute penalty, right? And, and uh, it changed the course of that game. Um, you know, to get back to Duke, I think you look at the first-team All-Americans this year, and you, know, you got Brian Costabile, you got Sam Hamley that we both discussed. Um, you know, one guy that, to me, is a first-team All-American in the playoffs is Nakai Montgomery. I mean, that kid is – he is so good – it's unbelievable. And I don't know, you know, if his statistics support his selection, but that's the guy that's the key for Duke. All we're talking about, all these other teams, Yale and Penn State um, and Virginia, you know, we're, we're, we're not really talking so much about Duke. And here Duke is in the Final Four yet again. And I think we all would agree that they lack a dynamic attackman but I think that dynamic attackman is playing midfield form and I think it's Nakai Montgomery and that kid is going to be the key in their game against Virginia this weekend yeah I think you're right I do I think that that kid is is their most pivotal player and they had a lot of people step up I mean that's just you know it reminds me of um it reminds me of Syracuse in the 90s when you'd be like who the hell is Nick Licamelli <laughs> Nick Lickamelli or something. And, and, and it'd be like, Lickamelli, what is it? was his fourth goal of the game and it was his sixth goal of the season, you know. Now, it wasn't that extreme with Duke, um, with CJ Carpenter coming through because he had 19 goals on the season, but he just wasn't like a household name 
and played big. Now, I will say that, you know, I I just feel like the Notre Dame goalie, although he had 11 saves, I I just didn't feel like he um, was seeing the ball particularly well. I felt like he didn't move a whole lot. And I think that makes a pretty darn big difference when you think about, you know, the, the Notre Dame, any defense, much less the Notre Dame defense. Well, that's been that's been an issue for them all year long, and we've said that. Uh, you know, I felt like it was an issue for Denver as well. You know, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, they were they were quite good enough for these teams to get to the Final Four. I mean, obviously they 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 weren't. You know, there's been talk that Jack Starr at Yale hasn't been good enough yet. He was great in the playoffs for Yale last year when they made their march and won the national championship. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see. I, I, I think you're looking at all four of the goalies that are currently left. I don't think any of them are, you know, among the very best goalies in the country. I agree with you. Yeah. I, 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 it balances each other out. They all seem like they're, you know, at times very good and at times, uh, you know, average. Yeah. I, I don't think those and, – and, and, you know, again, is it is – it, of, is it fallout from the shot clock? You know, are, are they just seeing more shots? You know, at one point, Jake Stover played he, on Saturday's game. He had 18 saves, but he let in 20 goals. I mean, 18 saves he had, yeah. and he yeah. still is under 50%. Yeah. That's, that's nuts. I mean, that, that's, that's crazy. It really is. The Phil Acrosby Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There is no question that video is a critical part to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com today. So Sunday's Penn State Loyola game, another game of massive runs. Loyola kind of jumps out on Penn State. Penn State just comes back on 11-3 run, you know, to make it, I don't know, 11. You know, they went up, they were down 6-3. They went up, you know, 14-6 or something. And next thing you know, it's 16-14. The penalty that you referenced, um, you know, I don't know how many goals Penn State actually scored on that man up, but but it just took the momentum out uh, of the just one. Um, and it, it, it took their, it, you know, in those two minutes, even if you're not getting scored on more than once or twice. I think it was one goal, right? Yeah, it's just one. You scored one goal, but it was two minutes of time, you know, and that's like a couple shot clocks, you know, a couple face-offs that they might have been able to get. So, um, Pat Spencer, does he, you know, solidify himself as the Tawaraton favorite after that performance, or do you think it's still wide open? No, I, I don't think it's wide open. I think it's I think it's closed, and I think it's Grant Amen. I think he's the guy that gets it. Uh, Pat Spencer did what Pat Spencer does. He put a, he put a jaw dropping performance out there, six and five. I mean, are you serious? It it it's unbelievable how good he is. With that said, Penn State won the game. You know, Grant Amen is a, he's gonna he's gonna end up the, he's gonna end up with a, over a hundred assists I know. <laughs> in one season he is and he missed a game and a half yeah. you know uh to, to me it's grant amen's award yeah i don't disagree but i feel like the, the world believes that that was solidified uh pat spencer because he just sort of put a team on his back that that was just not 
at the same level as the other team. So uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I can understand that argument. I, I do, but I just feel like, um, I feel like Grant Amen has had the best season. I, I do. He just put up another one and eight. Right. Commercial one and eight. A commercial one and eight. Right. Um, once again, watching Penn State play, their, their balance, you know, Mac O'Keefe, obviously, uh, one of the sweetest strokes in the game with nine goals. Jack Kelly with a smooth four and one, this Canadian kid, you know, he really – other than probably like split to his left hand, he can do it all. I mean, he can play off the ball. He can play with the ball. He's got good vision. Um, he's so slick in the way that he uses his body and the way he fakes, fakes his way through gaps and, and finishes with just unbelievable sort of hands and twisters. Cole Willard, the speed, the athleticism. Um, Dylan Foles, the Port Coquitlam Canadian just doing what he does, which is just banging in free hands-free shots. And it's funny when you look at the stats on inside lacrosse and Grant Amon's like six down because he only had one goal. And then you look at the eight next to it. I mean, right. Grant Amon's feeding is just so awesome. And, and I also believe that, you know, Jeff Tambroni has put together in everything he does. I love their zone offense. Yes. It was so simple and it was so nasty. And the way they run their offense, they – get off ball cutting action more than most teams. If you really think about this, like most teams dodge and they've got really good ball movement and scripted spacing, but they don't get the cutting. And I feel like Penn state has really taken advantage of dodging scripted spacing and, and cutting that is a little bit more unscripted and allows the kids to kind of figure it out. They get the top cut all day long. Um, and then Spillane, you know, he's got one and three. That kid's a total beast. Strong, lefty, tough. So, I don't know. These guys are so well-balanced. They really are. You know, Penn State looks like Cornell in the way that they seem to always make one or two extra passes when you think that they're going to take a shot, you're like, oh, there's going to be a shot. You know, it looks like they're at, at 10 yards. You're like, that's going to be the shot. And then he throws it to another guy, and you're like, oh. And then they almost sometimes throw it even one more, and it's a dunk. You know, they're, they're, they're such an unbelievably strong interior passing team. Yeah, you know, really, it really sort of looks like box on the field in terms oh. of the skill set, the one more – the upgrades, you know, the, 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 you know, I remember one cut during that Penn State game where I don't know who it was, but he, he ball cuts in. I think it was number 27, and he caught a, a Snively over the shoulder inside from the left wing, feeding it inside. He catches a Snively pass and buries it in the far corner, and it's like, that's just so high-end. It's, it's such an unbelievably – good play and the fact that the kid could handle it and the fact that the kid threw it like they're not playing the same game that we played jamie um did you see uh mac o'keefe's diving leaner <laughs> <laughs> is diving in that situation uh a gerund or an adverb or an adjective gerund it's a gerund, right? It's a verb that's acting as an adjective. 
a verb acting as an adjective. Is that what the definition of a gerund? I, I think so. I mean, I, I really could be wrong on that one, but I'm thinking. All right. All right, let's move on. Thank you. Penn, Yale. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> this game. I mean, the amount of lead changes and tie ball games in this game, how hard these teams played, how many goals they scored, how efficient they were. Um, just the, the toughness and the teamwork and the balls and, oh, my God, the whole thing. And, and, um, and the fact that TD came out, I don't know, seven for seven, and then the next thing you know, it's like 50-50 again, just shows you the toughness of that and the resiliency of that Penn team and of Gallagher. Yeah, you know, look, I thought Gallagher would face off better and statistically in the end, you know, TD Erland wins whatever, you know, three or four more face-offs than Gallagher did. Fact is, TD Erland was killing him. He was. And he got in trouble with going early. And when he got two down and the next one was going to be a penalty, he had to be tentative. Yeah. And that's when Gallagher came back and made his run, you know, right. it, it, and, and then halftime happens and I'm sitting next to Panats. We're watching the game. Like, are you watch? Ireland's going to come back and he's going to, he's going to, he's going to start dominating again in the third quarter. Cause he doesn't have, you know, two strikes against him. And sure enough, he came back and he started dominating again, but then to Gallagher's credit, you know, then he rebounded, uh, you know, and, and that was just, symbolic of the overall war you know the war between those two guys was incredible and the war between Yale and Penn were incredible you know we said it before and we're jaded because we're Ivy League guys but you know it's too bad that they had to play in the quarterfinals because I truly believe that Yale and Penn are two of the four best teams in the country and I would have liked to seen them play, ideally for the national championship, but at least in the final four. Yeah. The job Mike Murphy has done for with, with Penn this year to, to, to open up 0-3 and to go on their run. I mean, that's a team that could have won the national championship, and I'm sure it makes him sick knowing that the final four is in Philadelphia this year. But he's yeah. got a lot to be proud of and, uh, you know, has to be in the conversation for national coach of the year. You're talking about TD and two strikes. Did two strikes ever make you a little tentative, Andy? Well, they did. Thankfully, they didn't. Uh, they didn't have that rule when I was facing off. Um, no, but, but there, I, was, there were strikes in other uh, arenas. Yeah, listen, I, I, you know, most people strike out at three. I strike out at six. <laughs> um, Penn, you know, it's interesting because you, you, you kind of look at you look at their roster and and, and you, you you think of the the freshman um as being sam hanley you know played like a first team all-american all year long and i didn't think he played poorly in this game although i think that defense has kind of figured out what he wanted to do and were able to kind of take it away and, and he made smart decisions on moving the ball he didn't stick a couple of shots that he had but you would think that when you're first team all-american you know let's just assume he's first or second team you know, it gets 0-1, that you might struggle on offense. But they, they still scored 18 goals, which now we're in this shot clock era where you figure generally if you score 18, you feel like you should win. And the reason why I picked Penn over Yale is I really figured – I really thought that the faceoffs was going to be pretty even, and I really thought that Penn had the better defense. Um, and and I, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But at the end of the day, Penn needed to score 20. 
And it's pretty insane that that's where we, we are in this game right now. And I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, Sam Hanley, you and I have both sang his praises all season long, and he deserves all the adulation that he receives. Uh, but I got to say that both in the Ivy League championship or Penn one by one and in this game, he didn't shoot smart. You know, he's got an absolute bomb of a shot. But high shots are easy for goalies to save. That's the reality of it, you know. And, and, and if you can get to eight yards, high shots are going to blow past goalies. But when you're taking high shots outside of 10 yards, 12 yards <clears throat> on the run, you're just not going to score with the same amount of efficiency as you would if you're taking it off the ground. You're not. And I just uh, – I'm a little puzzled that after the Ivy League championship where I think Sam Hanley had one goal but yet had about 10 shots, and, and he takes good shots. You know, it's not like he's, he's taking bad shots. He's such a man-child, and, and their offense is so well run that he's able to generate – they're able to generate high-quality shots. But he lets the goalie off the hook by taking them high. And any save is not a shot. It's a turnover. And I feel like if he's bouncing shots, Penn's probably winning the game. Yeah, could be true. I mean, I, I feel like his his high-to-high -high quick release caught a lot of goalies jumping. You know? <laughs> and um, and that's why he was, had so much success. Yeah. Uh, later on, I mean, you know, you saw in that Ivy Championship game uh, that – Jack Starr was just standing up to it and, and catching it. And I agree with you. And I, and I also think that, you know, his, his dodging, um, he just needed to get to the wings a little bit more and, and draw and dump a little bit more. He was relying only on kind of splitting to his left with speed or going right to right with speed from out top. And, and, and that is, can be effective. And, and he did a, a great, did some great stuff all year. But you think about Army, remember the goal he scored against Army? When he got down to, when he got down to probably six yards or seven yards on the wing, rolled back top side and just hammered one and slammed this guy. You can't stop that. You can't stop that. But you can stop anybody on alley dodges with a slide and and with a good lift. So that, 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 that's right. I tell you, uh, I, I hope that Simon Mathias gets <clears throat> some consideration for first team All American this year because he just he's ridiculous. Yeah, he, he is ridiculous. He just gets it done. And he's been great. We said in the podcast last few weeks, he's been great for four years at Penn. Um, but I don't know if he, he's gotten enough credit. I don't know if people are talking about Simon Mathias enough. You know, he, he really needs to be in that conversation. And, and, you know, frankly, he's not in the conversation as, you know, the top 10 attackman. You know, you, you, don't, you don't mention him enough. But I think the reality is he played like a first-team All-American all season long and certainly, uh, you know, this weekend to tie the game up at the end of the game the way that he did and to play oh. the way he did. I mean, he is just – he's an incredible player. Uh, I'd like to get him in a chaos uniform. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a freaking beast, man. He's so athletic. He is. So tough. And he's just really, really, really well-rounded. More uh, on the Yale side, Jackson Morrow, you know, if you'd asked me how many points he had after the game, I would have said, I don't know, like two and one or something. And he's just one of those guys that gets exactly. four and three. Wow. Um, just so smart, so slick. 
he is truly a testament. That is how you play the attack position, in my opinion. He makes such great decisions. He's tough. Um, he can feed it. He can play without the ball. He can pretty much do anything you ask him to do, and yet he is not physically dominating his guy, but he gets the job done in an incredible fashion. Yeah. There's, listen, there's no question. I mean, we got we – got you know, not too different, but a different style of player. This guy, Connor Fields, that I have on my team from uh, Albany. I mean, he he is so good. It is insane. And, you know, he's obviously a good athlete, but you look at him and he's not, like, very big. And he's not, you know, quick like Mike's, Mikey Powell and Mikey Sowers. Like, you know, but he's just so in control and makes the right play every single time. And if you don't slide to him, he scores goals off the dodge. And if you do slide, he he makes the right play and and and, and just kills you. And I think that you know Jackson Morrill does that for Yale. Jackson Morrill, the PLL pro, the player that Jackson Morrill reminds me most of is Eric Law. Yeah. Uh, kind of an understated, like, yeah, you know, Eric Law was never first team All American, but he just wins. And he plays that same hang up game, plays the X position, distributes it, you know, doesn't hang on to it too much. But how about the other Yale guys like Lucas Cotler coming through with four and one and John DeAngelis with three and oh? And how about those shots that Dan Angelis hit? Those like Tommy Schreiber. Half wind up bombs on the run to the near side corner. First driver shots, weren't they? Jaw dropping. Oh my God, unbelievable. And then, you know, the end of the game was so crazy, you know, with, 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 you know, the, the, the timeout call. Yeah. When, when you can't call it on that. And the offsides call, the offsides scenario against Penn and, and even the game winner, you know, which, you know, he dropped the ball, picked it up, and then somehow spun through a double and, and goes high high with it. Right. House, league, house league goal. It was crazy. So, well, really fun stuff. So let's um let's do our Oxia time Ivy League review. We just kind of went over the game. Um, for everybody that may have watched the game, you might have seen John Canaris on his commercial. I got my watch on right now, Andy. I got a new watch band that got a little leather strap, which I like a lot better for wearing around. Yeah. Um, but um, got an important Jamie. Yeah, it's very good. John Canaris uh, is Pengrad, 1988. I'm sure he's so heartbroken right now uh, because he is such a huge Penn fan. And he was the goalie that took Penn to the Final Four in 1988. He had the uh, opportunity to be dunked on in the, by, the, by Gary Gate in what's known as forever in time, the Air Gate. And um, so John Canaris started this watch company called Oxia Time. That's A-X-I-A Time, Oxia Time. His passions are Penn Lacrosse. And frankly, uh, timepieces. Um, and so he started this company, and he uh, we knew John, you know, over the years. Certainly competed against him, and and um, and he reached out to us and, and asked us if he could sponsor our podcast. And it's really been a blast. And I really am so pumped that John Canaris did that. I love my Oxia timepiece. I know Andy Andy loves his. And we've had a really good time with this. Um, so, um, Andy as. A, as a little oxy of time Ivy League flashback, um, give us give us a little uh, story on what it was like to go to the Final Four as an assistant coach in 1994 uh, with the Brown Bruins. Yeah, that team was 
you know, what a, what a job Pete Lasagna, Joe Bresci did. Uh, I was fortunate to coach with those two guys and Sam Jackson. And, you know, the, the little known fact about that Brown team, uh, you know, is that it started one and four. That's the way the season started. And then we ended up winning 11 games in a row, not too indifferent to, you know, the way the season sort of played out this year. And we rode Joe Bresci's defense with great goaltending in Jay Stolfer. We had a great faceoff guy um, in Gary Nelson and, and uh, uh, you know, rode the offensive end. David Evans was just like ridiculous. You know, first team All-American as a sophomore, arguably the best player in the country that year as a sophomore. Um, and it was an unbelievable run. You know, we went down, we were the, we were the only team to beat Princeton who ended up winning the national championship year that year. I think they ended up going, you know, 15 and one or 16 and one, but you know, we beat them six, five in Providence that season. They beat us in the final four, 10, seven. We were up at halftime, five, four, um, Rob Gutile, unbelievable player. I think his season statistics were like 15 and 45. As a midfielder. Um, you know, the best, the best passing midfielder, in the country that year and, and, and one of the best passing midfielders of all time, quite frankly, with that stat line, um, you know, what a run, you know, Pete Lasagna, national coach of the year, absolutely deserving of that honor. Um, Joe Bresci, simply one of the best coaches in the sport, uh, you know, changed our team with his defensive schemes. And, you know, you got David Evans up front, you got a shot against anybody, and certainly that was uh, an awesome, awesome experience. Great season, great team. Cool stuff. All right, so we got um, our OxyTime Ivy League Players of the Week. I'm going with Jackson Morrill from Yale. Four goals and three assists. Already sung his praises and talked about him, but, you know, this guy plays big and big moments, and um, that's my OxyTime quarterfinals Ivy League Player of the Week. Who's yours? Uh, I'm going to go with the, the guy that got the game winner. And while it wasn't the entire game, uh, I'm going with Jack Ty to get the game winner on that stage after that game. That was like one of the best games of all time. I mean, it was just absolutely exhausting okay. is what it was. But I'm going with Jack Ty as my, Ivy, as my Oxia time Ivy League Player of the Week. You could tell how exhausting it was when you looked at Andy Shea's face after they won. <laughs> <laughs> I sent him a text and was like, you know, congrats, sick game. And he was like, yeah, I feel sick, is, was his response. And I said, I said, just try to enjoy it, you sick <laughs> You're in the fight. <laughs> I don't wish this on anybody. And Murph is like, you know what, dude? Um, pretty funny. Um, so, Oxia time, AXIA time.com go to the website they've got a broad array of styles um the tagline is the logo will remind you of some of the best days of your life and i love talking about ivy league lacrosse i love talking about the flashbacks um and um if you go and use the coupon code bruno 100 b-r-u-n-o 100 you will get a hundred dollars off uh, these watches are $5,000 watches that are sold for under a thousand bucks. Um, do your homework on it. They're awesome. 
uh, they'd be an awesome present. So let's um, let's do our uh, final picks here. I know we already kind of did them, uh, AT, but um, who do you got? Um, I've got uh, Virginia beating Duke, and I, I know I I know I said Penn State, and hard not to pick Penn State again. Um, but I'm gonna I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna pick Yale. I, I, I've got Yale and Virginia. Um, I know that's probably not the popular opinion. I think everybody looks at Penn State's offense and says, this is the team that's going to win the national championship, and hard to not see that and think that. Uh, but I got a lot of respect for T.D. Erland and the job that he did the first time around. And I think if he's able to have that kind of domination at the X – Yale just doesn't beat themselves. And if they get enough possessions, I know Penn State's offense is unbelievable, but I could see Yale choking them out. Um, so I'm going to pick Yale. I'm going to pick Virginia. And then what about in the final? Uh, I'm going to pick Virginia. I think Virginia's a team of destiny this year. All right. I've got uh, Penn State beating Yale, and I've got Virginia uh, beating Duke, and I've got Penn State winning it all. But going back to your points, I think it is really interesting. Um, the, the fact is that, that Penn State might have the greatest offense we've seen. But what was the stat line the last time these two teams played on the faceoffs? It was like 26 out 31. What was it? T.D. Erland won 26 out of 31. 26 out of 31. Against, against – arguably the second best guy in the country in Gerard Arcieri. Now, I would, I would say that, frankly, I think Gallagher is, is ahead of Arcieri, but yeah. Arcieri, you know, is one of the top three or four guys in the country, probably top three. In my Gallagher, Erland, and Arcieri, in my opinion, are the three best. And I, I, I think that, you know, there's, if there is a fact about Penn State from a weakness perspective or a potential, you know, issue that they do, do they do give up goals you know and no question you're gonna you know you know i mean i i love i think they're well coached i think they're good athletes and i think it's just the nature of the game i mean yale gives up goals too but but if you're gonna be giving up goals and you're gonna be able to score goals and your efficiencies are incredibly high it just comes down to the number of possessions and so that's why you know your pick of yale over penn state you know is 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 absolutely uh you know it's 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 plausible I'm just sticking with my Penn State pick from the very beginning, um, and um, really uh, would love to see. I, honestly, I love Jeff Tambroni and, and Andy Shea. I think they're both awesome. It's hard not to root for either of them. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I'm a huge fan of Jeff Tambroni. I would love to see him win a national championship. Um, I, I really would. And I'd love to see Lars win a national championship. And I'd love to see Andy Shea win it again. You know, and, and who can't appreciate John Donowski and, and how humble he is. You know, all, all four of those guys. No doubt. Um, you know, wh whoever wins it is going to have earned it, and I'm going to be happy for whoever that is. How about this, Penn State? Jeff Tambroni, it was 10 years ago, 2009. Right. That they, all they had to do was chuck it. Oh, my God. Here he is. It took him 10 years to get back to it. Brett Boyer. Brett Boyer, one of the all-time best players. Best yeah, player. great player. Yep. Um, and uh, I tell you, I, I was a sick, I, I don't know, I don't know why, just because I'm, 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 I'm tight with Jeff and my wife is tight with his wife. And I, I literally was sick to my stomach as if I had lost that game yeah. 10 years ago. I remember it really, 
really vividly. I went out to mow the lawn afterwards and I felt like yeah. my stomach. But anyways. Uh, if Penn State wins the national championship, I'll, I'll be really, really happy for Jeff Tambroni. Um, you know, he's no just that, that they've had some some tough times in that program with the death of Connor Darcy. And, uh, you know, it would be great to see Jeff, you know, validate his coaching career. He's widely regarded as one of the very best coaches in the country and is, deser is deserving of, of all of that praise. Uh, you know, and, and for him, I would really love to see Penn State win it. But again, you know, I'd love to see Andy Shea win it again. I'd love to see Lars get it. Lars. Um, yeah. So it's going to be fun to watch. That's for sure. Awesome. All right, listen, I, I know you got a scrimmage to go to. AT, great talking to you. We'll catch you next week. Have a great rest of your time down at the training camp. All right, you're the man. I'll check in. See you, bud. The Phil Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com.